Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that muted response. Uh, to uh, I completely understand uh, to what's going to happen today. Uh, it's I just love being in the all together. It's so exciting seeing people you don't get to see so often. And and if you're new today and don't normally go to church, uh, really really so pleased you're here. And our goal today is always to meet with Jesus. That's the number one thing. If we meet with Jesus when we see each other when we have coffee afterwards, when we worship, when we sit and actually we submit ourselves to his word. God, we come here and we say, God, as they read the word, as somebody says something about it, I want to know, I want to hear it. But I was praying about today and I was thinking, wow, this is such an opportunity to, to be there. And, and I know that there are baptisms today. It's really super exciting. I know the baptizees and I'm so excited for them. But I wanted one thing today. You know, it's one thing I ask of the Lord. One thing I ask of the Lord today is that you will know how much he loves you. One thing, that's all I ask. Heavenly Father, as we read the scripture and reflect on it, I pray that your spirit would do what you've been doing through the service already as people have greeted each other and felt your warmth through each other as, as we've listened and been drawn into your, into, the pres- into your presence through the worship and stuff like that. We sense your presence now come even stronger. Floor us with your kindness and your power and your love. Open our minds to receive the mind-boggling conceptions that you could love us even as you love Jesus, as we'll read in one of the verses today. Holy Spirit, please lead people to his love today. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll I'll start my timer after the prayer because you can't count that in the preach can you none of you know how many minutes is on this so it doesn't really matter but at least I know it's not that many so we're we're preaching in the 40 days of prayer and fasting we thought before we did this when we get together on Sundays uh, what we'll do is we'll preach through the prayers of Jesus and the prayers of the apostle Paul so if we're asking people to pray well good thing to do is how do I pray well we'll see what Jesus prayed see what Paul prayed and see if they're anything like what we pray I don't know if you feel like they are. Last week, if you're in one of the communities, it was the Lord's Prayer. And if you're my dad, Catholic background, it's the Our Father. And so it's the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so that that prayer kind of introduced this incredible idea that, that we have a Father in heaven, not some distant God, not some wooden block that we leave oranges at and, and stuff like that, but actually with the God in heaven we worship is our Father. Together and he invites us into a relationship as a father, not as a follower, not as a, as, you know, we are followers and we, we should do what Jesus says because he is our Lord and we, we should be obedient because he's God. But the first thing he wants us to know when, when they say, teach us to pray, is, and he says, well, pray like this, pray our Father. Together we have the Father in heaven. That's just a window to look into there. You could reflect on that for a while, couldn't you? And so that, that has been called the Lord's Prayer, but really that's a disciple's prayer. That's the one they're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be praying that his name be honoured. And he didn't have to say, forgive us my sins, because he didn't sin. But this is the Lord's Prayer. And again, it's like this amazing window into his soul. Imagine being next to Jesus, like physically next to Jesus like these guys were when he was praying to his father. Let's read... What he said, and this is quite a long passage, so I'm just going to do my, my passage. I've been given just verse 20 
to verse 26 of chapter 17. And the first part of the chapter, he's praying for himself. He's about to go to the cross and he needs God's help. And he's making a commitment saying, God, glorify me. Going to the cross. Glorify me with the glory. It's for him going to the cross is his glory. When he went to the cross, he was thinking of you. And to him it was a, 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 not a delight, but it was his glory that he would die for you. And then he prays for the disciples because this passage is in the bit where like from chapter 13 on, he's trying to prepare them for him going. And they've just got used to living with him and it's so cool and they're starting to really get a hang of this. And they don't want him to go, so he's been, he's been sort of preparing them. And so now he, in the section just above this, is praying for the disciples. That Interesting, he doesn't, the thing he doesn't pray for them, that they'd be tremendously successful. He doesn't even pray that, that, that they, they never go through any difficulties. He prays that God would keep them. And then he prays, can you believe it for us? My prayer is not for them alone, that is the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that the world, they may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them, and I will continue to make, uh, to make you known in order that they get ready for this. The love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. That takes a while to settle, that idea. This is like the window into how Jesus prays it. And, and it's a moment, I, I don't know if you guys are, uh, are familiar with uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Know that speech? I've, I've got it. That, that speech was given in the context of a suffering nation, a suffering people. I've got a song I want to play. It only goes for a couple of minutes. And the song is sung by a lady called Mahalia Jackson. She was the world's greatest gospel singer. She was a deeply Christian lady from her youth. And she, she could have been the world's greatest blues singer because all the labels wanted to sign her because of her voice. But she said, no, too depressing. They're, they're singing about sin all the time. I want to sing about Jesus. How are we going with that? All good? So I'm going to show you a couple of things. One is this song, and I want you to listen to the words of the song because they're so so interesting and so capture the mood. You remember that uh, this was 1963, so like quite a long time ago. Uh, and uh, in the midst of uh, the difficulties they were having in 
in America. Are we getting this or canning it? So, a song should come on just in a moment. Can you get the vibe? A suffering people bearing, for some of them, almost unbearable weight. Thanks, Peter. And she's asking, how did I get here? How did I make it through? And her answer is because of Jesus. The song she sang just before this one, thanks, Peter, was called... uh, uh, what was it called, the one she sang just before? I've been buked. Anybody know Mahalia Jackson? Anybody sang her? You do? A couple of Mahalia Jackson fans. I've been buked and I've been scorned. Martin Luther King asked her to come and sing because he knew she, she could do something to a crowd that came out of her heart. And so he asked her to sing this song, I've been buked, I've been scorned, I've been, I've, I've been put down all my life. And it made me think about, about how the people I know in my life and sometimes me, how we've suffered under a weight. And when she sang, at the end of that song, I've been buked, again, it comes back to Christ who, who died to set her free and lift the burden from her. And, and this is the interesting thing about her. She knew Martin Luther King real, real well, and, and he always asked her to come and, because she would do concerts and raise money for the cause. And so she'd eat with him many times, talk with him many times. They'd shared their, their hearts together many times. And uh, she was probably the only person in the world who could do what she just did. Have you got that picture up there for us? That's Martin Luther King. You'll recognise him. That's Mahalia Jackson there in that circle there. You know what's happening here? She just went, he was into his speech. So he's saying, you know, Bad things are happening. We're going to change the structures of society. He was 13 pages into the speech. And she's sitting there going, this, this is not enough. So she, she, this is where she goes, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. Something in her knew that, that hearing about all the problems wasn't going to get the people moving. They needed to hear about the dream that she'd heard him talk about so often. And that's it, the moment right there. And I think that moment makes him the most famous speaker in the world when Marley Jackson spoke to him. I mean, he's a good speaker, but this is the one that took him to another level. And when he got into this, when he started talking about the dream, and you, you've heard the dream, I'm sure you know, I had a dream uh, that uh, one day in the... Where is it? I've got some of the words here. That one day in the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, one day that'll be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, 
with this vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right down in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will hold hands with little white girls and little white boys and sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. He went from, preacher, from speaking to preaching. When she said, tell him about the dream, he took him to church. And it was an invitation to that crowd to, to enter into the vision because you can't get over issues just by thinking about the problems and all the things that happen to you. And so Jesus is inviting us, I think, for me, when he prays this prayer, he's inviting us into his telling us his dream. What is my dream? That they may be one, just as you and I are one, Father, that the world may know me because of the way they live together. That's my dream. What does he want? He wants in his heart what motivates Christ to go to the cross. Say, sanctify me, Lord. Glorify me. I'm going to the cross. Why? So that where I am, you may be also. That's his dream. That's why he went through it all. That's why he came to earth. Why he experienced the suffering of his people. Why he died on the cross. That's what motivated him. And the same motivation is in his heart, the same dream exists today for you. You're not just here because he has to save you because he said he'd love the world. When he was with the disciples, they were watching him pray down into the last soul who will be saved before he comes back again and say, I want them to be with me, Father. It doesn't matter where they've gone. It doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter their mistakes. I love them and I want them to be with me. This is for you. You're here today because he has loved you and he has seen you. And his dream is to spend eternity with you. I will be hoping for a hallelujah or a thank you God or an amen or come on. That is, I mean, this is life-changing truth, isn't it? It is life-changing truth. And, he's, and he wants to lift our eyes from the stuff that's been buking us. The stuff been buking me and you. There are people here who've had mental health problems, they've had physical problems, they've had healing needs, and, and that the devil is buking us, saying, you have to put up with this. And I think God's saying, no, 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 no. Get your eye off the problem, get your eye on where I'm taking you. That's what I think God is saying. And so when we, we, we hear this prayer and he says things like, I want them to be together and with us in the same way I'm with you. That's a pretty amazing thing. That's, it's like, this is not an organisational thing. It's not him saying, I want them to be a church or a parachurch. Because how was God with Jesus and the Father and Holy Spirit? They were essentially one. One in essence. They, were, they were, had different identities, if you like, but they were the same God. They were one. He wants that kind of unity for us with each other and with him. Because when his love is in us, everything changes. Everything changes. And most often we experience his love in community, together. Most often the first time we experience God's love is when somebody loves us because of the love they've received from him. So when I came to Christ, it was because somebody loved me. And interestingly enough, I, I saw the church, I went to the church, and I saw a whole heap of people loving each other in ways I'd never seen before. And it moved me. And it took me from being a bitter, cold-hearted unbeliever to a die-hard follower of Jesus. 
not, not because of anything I'd done, but because I saw what Jesus prayed for in a group of people. And that's our call as a church. And, and it's, it's, that's what he wants of us. And where it doesn't mean we're going to agree about everything. Every family has, you know, it's disagreements. But if his love for us is in us and that's for each other and we're sharing it, we'll get over it. It doesn't mean we're all going to believe the same stuff. Because we've got a pretty broad church here. We, we don't run a tight little cult. More's the pity. I like people to believe exactly what I believe. <laughs> but, but we don't. We've got a broad church. And so you don't have to believe everything to be part of this church that all the elders have always believed and that most of the people believe. You've got to be a Trinitarian. You know, the way we put it here, we've got, we got red stuff written in blood. If you, if, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, you haven't given your life to Christ, if you don't believe that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which you must be saved, then you haven't given your life to Jesus, then we can't actually have spiritual fellowship because we don't believe the same thing at that level. We, so that's red. That's blood. You've got to believe that to be part of this church. And then there's, there's issues like that we say our own pen. They're in ink. So stuff that's pretty important and, you know, really helpful if you believe that. But if you don't fully believe it, well, if, you know, if you feel God wants you here, and we'll be here. And we'll walk together and try and work it out and come to a more common understanding later on. We're not going to look down on you because you're a, an amillennialist. Well, I might because I'm a premillennialist. <laughs> Put it out there. But that might even be pencil for some people. Do, do we have tattoos? Pencil. Not my call. Between you and God. Do you believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? That's, 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 blood. that's blood red. There's a church there. I promise you this is true. I, I read this in a newspaper article some years ago. Uh, small community of Centerville, this is in Georgia, has a population of just over 5,000 people. But with a total of 48 Presbyterian churches, they also hold the record for the most number of Presbyterian churches in one small town. How many churches we got? We've got 250,000 people in Medway, 280,000. We, we might only have 48 churches in Old Medway. There's 5,000, oh, it's probably more than that. There's 48 churches meeting in this building on a Sunday, I think. There's, they're everywhere. <laughs> anyway... So the high number of churches has to do with the multiple splits that have taken place over the years because of one issue or another. Originally in 1899, only one Presbyterian church existed, simply known as Centerville Presbyterian Church, with 20 families. By 1911, the church had grown to almost 150 members, a considerably large church at that time, but a dispute had arisen with the congregation over whether or not the offering should be taken before or after the sermon, <laughs> which is obviously, you know, blood. So anyway, the first split took place, the dissenting congregation forming Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church. 1915, a dispute arose amongst the members of Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church over the issue of the regulative principle of worship. It seems some members of CRPC had liked the idea of having flowers in the sanctuary, while others objected. As a result, CRPC split and Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church of Sandable was organised with 25 members uh, with no flowers. 
Several more splits took place over various issues. It was in 1931 another dispute arose among the members of the Seventh Presbyterian Reformed Covenantal Church of Centerville over an issue that no one can even remember. <laughs> Suffice it to say that approximately half the congregation split away and nine people formed Third Westminster Trinity Covenant Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. Again, more places took splits between 1931 and 75 when a major split. Now, what could this have been? We've had the flowers. Do we take the... What is the major split? Tell me it's something theological. What was the major split? Anyway, they don't tell me. But at that time, <laughs> count the number, 11th Westminster Covenant Pro- Presbyterian Church of Centerville voted to remain in the PCUS and 15 members broke off and formed St. John's Presbyterian Church. Well, at least that's the... I'm joining the church you can say. St. <laughs> John's, that'll do me. I'm joining that one. Uh, anyway, uh, St. John's Presbyterian Church sadly split of the choice of name for the church several weeks after it opened because some people didn't like the word saint in the name of a Reformed church. So anyway, since 75, several more splits have happened with the most recent occurring this past weekend, so, which is uh, 19, uh, 2010 this, this came out. When a dispute arose, the members of <sighs> 2nd Street, 1st, 9th, Westminster Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church over the issue of the observance of the Lord's Day. The question uh, in issue was whether or not it was acceptable for someone to check their email on the Sabbath. <laughs> Those who objected have now split off and have formed the Presbyterian, totally reformed, covenantal, Westminsterian, Sabbatarian, regulative, credo, communion-taking, amillennial, presuppositional church of Centerville. I think we finally got it right now, said Paul Davis, teaching pastor at PTRCWSRCCAPCC. We now have a church with 100% doctrinal purity. We are hoping to grow and reach out to the community. We're up to six people on Sundays now, said Davis. I know numbers are not important, but we're hoping to grow a little bit more. Oh, my giddy aunt. If it wasn't... (laughs) What a witness to the world that is. That's the craziest church. I mean, they must be waiting for the next newspaper. Well, I wonder when that church... Putting bets on it. The bookies probably got a tab open on when they're going to go. It'll be on Super 6. How many is going to split off? If you can predict how many are going to split off, then you win a quarter of a million dollars or something like that. I don't know. These guys are... So that's not who we are. There's so much pencil in our lives. It's funny when uh, years ago we had a guy whose who's child died and he was one of those guys who was quite... Uh, well, I'll put it this way. He was, a, an, he was an accountant and he used to oversee other accountants and he was called in if there was suspected fraud in his office. In his, he, he found one day somebody had a picture of Hitler with his face on it and, and put the pencil on his... He wasn't very well liked. He was quite a tight guy. And everything had to be exactly right. And he left our church over something. I can't remember what it was. Obviously, it was blood to him. I'm pretty sure it would have been pencil to me. But anyway, his, his child got sick. And died, and we're all at his funeral. And nobody cared about what he believed. Nobody remembered why he left. They only remembered they loved him. Some things are really important. As a church, the thing that's important is we love each other the same way Christ loved us. 
If somebody comes in broken, love them like Christ loved If somebody comes in sin and love them like Christ loved us. This is Christ's prayer. The two things he wants most of God is that we would be one as he is one. And then this mind-blowing thing that we would be with him forever in eternity. That's what he wants most of all. These are the, these are the things on Jesus' heart. These are his dream. And so when we're doing our 40 days and we say, would you like to, to come to a prayer meeting? This is just a way we flesh out what it means to be one. And as a church, we, there's hundreds of us. We can't know and love and know every detail of everybody here. But what we, what we can know some. We can know the few, can't we? And so we, we have a, a, a game plan, if you like, for how we, how we flesh out what it means to be one. We accept, like, at 40 days. Not everybody can come to everything. We're not expecting that. We're putting on opportunities where we can gather as one in small groups out of the unity and love and the vision we share to pray for each other and pray the big issues for our church either on Monday morning before you go to work. I'm not expecting hundreds of people at that one at 6.30 in the morning. Um, but you know what I mean. We could, this is how we flesh out what it means to be one. For the last five or six weeks, up until last week, we were working through with our home group leaders what does it mean to be living together in community? How can we flesh it out? So, so our game plan really is, is like this. Firstly, you have to know Christ to be part of the spiritual fellowship. Game plan one is you know Christ. You spend time with Christ. You love on Christ. You let him love on you. You let him shape your life. He doesn't care how bad you are when you come in. He doesn't care. He just wants you. He wants you in the morning and he wants you at the night. He wants to watch over you over the day and he wants to watch over you while you sleep. He wants to be your Lord and Saviour. He wants to protect. He wants you. So, so game plan one, get in Christ. Game plan two, get in a discipleship group. Get in a small group. We, we know that our grow groups, uh, this is a place where you're going to get to know people best. And they'll start again. I think this week we're starting those groups again, but mostly just for prayer together and get to catch up again because the groups haven't been going while we've been doing the training with the leaders. But after, after the 40 days when we've finished, that we're the essentially prayer groups, then we'll start using our, we're exposing you to the new sort of way we work these groups. And, and the leaders will lead you through what I've been leading them through. And then we'll, it'll be hammered down. We're going to run these groups the way we think is going to work best and see the fruit over time. Game plan three, go to a community, get connected to a community where you go every week and worship. You know, I cannot tell you how often I've seen people fall away when they've got out of the habit of going every week to worship I don't, it's just there's something in being committed to your local church family that strengthens you when you're with them even when you're not enjoying it <laughs> what do you mean you're in my community I'm leading your community what, yeah, amen yeah even when I which is pretty often but somehow the mystery of God is working so even that bumbling idiot is up there preaching I still get something out of God's word yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's something about it. So, so make it a priority to be with the saints. And it's not just for you. It's for somebody else. Can't tell you how many times people have come to me and had a word of knowledge for me or, or a word of encouragement or said something that just lifted me or it changed my mind to help me understand. Go to, go to one of those. And, and then we have our gatherings like this. This is a... 
like what a place to be. Would you rather be washing your car in Australia? Sunday mornings, heaps of people wash their cars because it's sunny all the time. Don't want to rub it in. But Sunday morning, you go to church, you must drive past 10 people washing their cars on the driveway because that's their little God. They spent 50 grand on that car and they're going to wash it. They could be here. They're off the trolleys. There's the place to be. Sitting under, these guys leading worship. Oh my Gideon, oh God, thank you. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you that people came early. Thanks Judah and, and Nat for setting up the pool. The people who came early and set up the chairs, people can this is a place filled with love. I want to be in places filled with love. Here's the place I can be inspired where I can have somebody, Adam one day preach some word to me and kick me in the pants, say, Tony, you better get up. You better change your attitude. You better lift your eyes. Come along here. It's not because we want to have a big church. It's because we want to be together. We want to answer Jesus' prayer. And how can we do it? Well, actually, funnily enough, you can't help it. You're already in the church. When you got saved, when you gave your life to Christ, he took you, baptised you into the body of Christ. There you are. You're now a Christian and you're in that church. Nothing you can do about it. If you walk away, that's down to you, but you'll still be in the church. You'll just be miserable without them. You're in it. They may as well enjoy it. Get engaged in it. Serve in it. Join a serving team. Really, really get into it. Because there's something special about where God's people gather. One of these days, uh, all of us, will draw our last breath. And Jesus' deepest desire was when that happened, we'd go to be with him. That's what he's praying. It's the second part. I want them to be with me. That's the part that's really important now. If you were drawing your last breath, just before Christmas, I had this idea, for some people, it's going to be their last Christmas. Enjoy your Christmas dinner because you won't be here next Christmas. That's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Only thing is, if I'm going to be with Jesus and have, the, like, have supper with him, I could do without Christmas dinner here. I mean, that's the place I want to go. I mean, what's the alternative? Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> Where do you want to be forever? With Jesus or without him? So that his... his his dream is that we would know that he loves us he wants us to love each other and he wants us to experience the same love that God has for him in our own hearts that's his invitation today he wants to invite you to to experience the same love that the father loves him with in your heart as he does it's funny, isn't it? I can be, in a family, I can be, let's say I'm the father figure and I have, uh, Adam is my son. It's not quite, Thank you. well, blow me down, I think, tech, no, it's not. I'd have been a very young father, but let's say, and then, then who's <laughs> got the beard here? He's got the, anyway, so, so I can love him as a son and want to be with him, but he could run away and not have it. If you're running away from the father's love, come back it's good love and and if i'm god i've got the capacity to love more than one son or one daughter some of you got five kids now that's a that's something else somebody let's say two let's say i had two kids let's say easy to love little megan there she was one of mine i would love her and i would love him exactly the same because it's the father's love 
and I would give it to them as my children, they would both experience it and they would have enough love in them to love each other. I think that's the way it works with God. He just wants you to know his love. It's his love that enables you to love the brothers and the sisters. So how do you get a slice of that action? Rhonda's going to tell you in a minute. She's going to tell you how you can give your life to Christ. But before that, we've got three people who are going to be baptised and they're going to show you. They're going to do a drama for you. They're going to do a little play. It's a two-act play. Did they know that? This is news to them, but this is what they're going to do. They're going to do a two-act play. And we call it baptism. Let me read from um, the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans what this is all about. I've lined it up. Oh, hello. You know where I got my shirt? eBay. Another e- uh, there's another shirt. The al- uh, have you heard that? That was the alarm going off. Oh, a watched item is ending soon. <laughs> so sorry about that. A little window into my reality. So this is what the, the, the play is all about. It comes from these words from Paul. Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in resurrection like this. For we know our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done with so that we no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has, been, has died has been set free from sin. So if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. That's what this two-act play they're going to share with you is all about. The act of death. Because getting into Christ means dying to yourself and living for Christ, doesn't it? I give up the right. I die to the right to make all my own choices. I, I just want you so bad. Come and lead me. Come and guide me. And his payoff, in the same way that Christ died, and, and, and just when the devil thought he had him down, <laughs> there was a great movement in the bowels of the earth and Jesus rose from the dead. And so you, broken as you are, when you die, when you get into Christ, he raises you up to new life. Here's a good story, isn't it? We should call this the good news. So now my bit is over. Rhonda's now going to invite the, the baptizees uh, whilst their baptizers wait next to them to share how they got to this point. <laughs>